Hi, I'm Craig Turner, host of the Founders for Good podcast. I've spent years working in the tech for good space, and in that time I've had the privilege of interviewing inspiring impact founders, and I want to share those conversations with you. Why? Because these are the people leading the way when it comes to solving the world's most pressing issues, from climate to homelessness to health to education and much more. In these conversations, I dig into why these issues exist, possible solutions, how the founder and their business is approaching the problem, and their best kept secrets on how to build a for good company. My hope is that this will inspire you to be part of the solution and do your bit in making the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in to the Founders for Good podcast. Hector Hughes is the co-founder of Unplugged. After working in a high-growth startup and experiencing burnout, Hector booked himself on a retreat in the Himalayas, where he spent 10 days cut off from the world with no access to his phone. When he returned to the UK, he realised just how over-reliant we all are on our phones and the negative impact this has on our health and relationships. So we set up Unplugged. They provide 72-hour off-grid digital detoxes in beautiful cabins in the countryside. In this episode, Hector explains how addicted we are to our phones, the impact that has and how it's only getting worse, how Unplugged are helping people break that unhealthy habit, and his lessons from being a founder. Hey Hector, thanks for coming on the show, how are you? Yeah, all good, Craig, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So look, I'm, I'm really excited to have on the show today and we're going to talk about your business Unplugged where you provide uh, three-day off-grid digital detoxes to people. Um, but I guess first where I want to start was actually with your own personal experience because I think um, I've heard you speak before about kind of you've come from working in startups, you had your own experience with burnout and then you had like your first digital detox experience. Could you share a bit more about the events that led up to the burnout and, and that digital retreat that you went on? So out of university, I joined a tech startup, was employee number eight or nine. And my now co-founder, Ben, was he was the first hire on the commercial side. I was the, the second. And we did the whole you know, high growth, international expansion, opened offices in the US and Australia. So fantastic experience. But after three years, yeah, I just started to get a bit kind of burnt out with it, started to lose my joy for life, I suppose. And so at the recommendation of a friend, I ended up at a silent retreat in the Himalayas in September 2019. And that was, you know, this Buddhist temple on top of a mountain. The best thing about it is when you get there, they take your phone off you and you just spend 10 days cut off from the outside world. So very cliche, but I came back from that and quit my job a week later to do this. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, I guess after that experience, um, how did your like relationship slash like mindset towards technology change in? Um, cause obviously that must've been quite a difference of being in the Himalayas at this retreat and you're back in the UK. Like how did your mindset shift around how you would interact with your phone or whatever technology you had? You know, I think what really changes after something like that is not so much your kind of, well, I, I guess the, the key thing is a change of perception, right? Like you just see everything so different. So that, that was probably the first time in, say a decade that I'd, I'd actually spent that long off my phone right before before I even had a phone and you, you before you do that you almost kind of don't consider it as an option right you, you, your phone's just so ingrained in our lives that it doesn't occur a that that would even be beneficial and b that it's even possible and so that was a real eye-opener just to see that like the world didn't end you know, nothing. It's always a bit of an anticlimax checking checking your messages after something like that. So what it really did is gave me, almost just empowered me that uh, to see that 
you can do that. And, and ever since, you know, I've, I've really kind of craved digital detoxing, which is um, what's led to this today. But it, it's just that kind of change in perception about about what's what's impossible. Got it. And and to set the scene a little bit, like I don't know if you have any stats, but like could you could you give some insights into like how, how addicted are we as a society to to our phones to technology? Yeah, for sure. So the you know with eight, over eighty percent of us within three minutes of waking up will reach for our phones, and then basically we spend the whole day you know just just checking them. And when you check your phone, it takes about fifteen minutes to to regain your composure. So for most of us. There's there's not there's not a break longer than fifteen minutes for the whole day. So we're basically spending a whole days and, and therefore a whole lives in this constant state of overstimulation. There's another stat that over fifty percent of UK adults are spending eleven hours a day or more on screens. So it really is becoming. If you think that you know, twenty years ago screen time was close to zero uh, for most of us, and now it's it's basically all of our waking hours so it really is changing how we're living how we're working how we're interacting with each other so it's hard to underestimate just what a fundamental change it is and obviously that's only accelerating you know we're only spending more and more time online agreed and i was going to actually ask like do you do you see is it technology in general you talked about screens like is the problem just anything where you're looking at a screen if that's your laptop tv kindle whatever it might be or is it like phones are the major problem or they're just the biggest problem out of the set of things you probably are looking at for most of the day so phones definitely do something that you don't get to the same extent from the others which is just this overstimulation obviously laptops are the same where we just spend so much time switching between tasks uh, and exposed to millions of people on social media and we're not we're not built for that world you know we're built to live in little tribes of 150 people that we haven't really changed much biologically since our, our hunter gatherer days so now we're just thrown into this world where you know on facebook or twitter or instagram we're suddenly exposed to literally millions of people billions even and that is incredibly overwhelming and so so yeah it's the the speed at which we're we're consuming information now uh is incredibly overstimulating and it's only when you take that away that we realize just what that's doing to us. So you know, massively heightens our um, anxiety and you know, frays frays our nerves. And so, what, what's amazing is when you get offline, then it takes about a day for the mind to settle down. But then you access this deep sense of calm that we, we're just not operating in our daily life, and that, of course, is how we're designed to operate. So there's almost this lost state of being that you know, the world of today has just completely got rid of. And, and, you, and you you touched on some of like the impacts this will have in terms of overstimulation creates more anxiety and stress. What are some of the other things it will be causing in people that they may not be aware of, if, whether that's related to their health and well-being or more to like the relationships with the people around them? I mean, that, that key piece you said about relationships, the more our interactions are online, the less we are building those skills i mean you look at children teenagers etc like that takes practice it takes practice to understand someone face to face etc and you just don't build the same level of empathy with a relationship online and even just having phones present so if you and me we're obviously talking over uh, a video called now but if you and me were sat next to each other face to face and we had a phone on the table then even the phone being there even if it was switched off 
would reduce empathy between us. So that gives you an idea of just just how much these are affecting us. It, it, that's if it's switched off, right? So you can imagine if you're scrolling through Facebook or whatever it is, it, it's something different entirely. And the same goes for IQ. Just having a phone switched off on the table reduces our IQ in an IQ test. So it, it's it's hard to underestimate just what the impact is. Now, with every technological shift, so you know, writing the written word came along, they all bring benefits with them as well so you know absolutely not demonizing screens you know we as a company get a huge amount of benefit from from technology but it's just understanding the trade-offs we're making and as a species there's this idea that you know we need to make progress and advance and uh everything gets easier and faster and all of these things and at the cost of what and i I think we sometimes don't stop and ask ourselves that question and um, perhaps we're not optimizing for the right thing. Yeah, that's a really fair point. Like I'm I'm a father of two and I think where it hits me the most is in the evenings, I have my phone in my pocket, I'm you know, bath time with the kids, whatever it might be, an email comes in. Before I know it, I haven't even thought about it, phones in my hand, checking the email, replying to the email, kids <laughs> kids are talking to me and, and then I have to almost kind of stop I'm like, what are you doing? Like you don't need to reply to this right now. And it's it's almost like the, the addiction's so bad that you don't even realise it's happening. You kinda of have to like stop yourself or put it in another room um which kind of leads on to my next question actually what we're talking about like obviously the problem that exists and, and the the impacts it has on people and the relationships around them on the flip side what, what does a healthy relationship look like with your phone like what where where sh- what what good boundaries exist like what would that look like what i will say is these things are you know phones are incredibly addictive of course and so it is difficult i think the key at the start is not to give ourselves a hard time because there can be that feeling when we think about you know, our phones and how we use them, this almost this self-loathing narrative of, oh my gosh, I'm addicted, like such a bad habit. But f- first of all, it's just you know, be kind to yourself. Yeah, it's, it's you and everyone else in the world, so really don't worry so much. And then it's just about, it's just about small steps. It's about sending the momentum in a different direction, you know, because at the moment we're heading towards becoming more and more addicted and spending more and more time online. And anything you can do to shift that in the other direction. So whether that's just putting your phone in a drawer for half an hour or going for a walk, leaving it at home or coming and you know, spending three nights at a cabin. So all of these things help develop your awareness about exactly what's happening to your mind when you are on your phone. And, and I think that's the key. It's just cultivating that self, self-awareness in yourself. And the, I guess the irony of that is the more aware you become, the more addicted you feel because you start to notice it more, right? So there's this weird thing of people come and stay in our cabins and they go home and they, they actually feel more addicted because because you're noticing it more, right? But that's the first step uh, towards, you know, what's what's a journey of just really starting to seek and, and develop uh, that, that time offline and, and reintroduce that back into our lives. Totally. And, and that's probably a good good um, point to, to shift the conversation to to unplugged actually i know i gave a very brief description at the start hector but can you can you give uh, an overview of unplugged what you do how it works in your own words very simply we help people live happier lives by providing three night digital detoxes at off-grid cabins in nature so we own and operate the cabins we put them in you know, beautiful countryside locations and then people go for three nights. Upon arrival, literally padlock their phones in a box. We give them a map and a Nokia and leave them to it. 
Nice. And I'm going to come back and dig into that a little bit more shortly. But I guess where I wanted to go back to a little bit was um, you, you mentioned kind of your personal journey and you, you had this retreat in the Himalayas, came back to the UK, uh, you know, shifting mindset towards how you viewed kind of technology and, and you know, the digital world in general. What, what were the steps that moved you from that experience to, right, I'm going to start a business in the UK to kind of solve this problem that everyone, a lot of people will be experiencing? There was a lot of, of luck involved, as, as there always is with <laughs> these things. It always seems in hindsight like it was some straight line up and to the right. But I actually came back from that retreat not intending to quit my job and was working for a startup at the time. We were trying to raise a Series A. It was all you know very exciting, but, but also a bit chaotic behind the scenes. And two days after I got back, the the last investor pulled out the funding rounds. We were losing a lot of money, so had to close down the US and Australia and get rid of 75% of the team. So that just got instantly less exciting overnight. I was running growth at the time, running marketing effectively, and we paused all marketing spends. I had a week just you know twiddling my thumbs while my boss was going back and forth with investors. And during that week, I went for a drink with Ben, who we had worked together, but he'd left to join another startup. We'd, we'd always thought we might do something together. And I told him about this retreat, and Ben is not the kind of guy you'd find at a silent retreat anytime soon. And we spoke about how there's a lot of stigma around retreats and meditation, and so much of the benefit is just getting people offline and, and into nature. So it was really that perfect storm of, you know, I was had this kind of deep calm from the retreat, had uh, an opportunity to, to move on from the startup, and then we'd heard about this kind of global cabin movement, thought that was interesting. And we also been reading a lot around digital detoxing. So we just thought that the two married together really nicely. Awesome. And and the, I guess like the initial, I guess, cabin, wh- where did you start? Like, did you, wh- where was the location? Um, who was the first customer? Like what, what did that very first iteration of the model look like? Yeah, for sure. So we had, no idea about any of it, cabins, lands, uh, you know, operations, all of these things. So we just thought we will get a cabin ordered, see what happens. So we, again, ready start, thought we didn't know anything about cabins, so we'll trust the Scandinavians. So we found a, a Swedish cabin company, ordered a cabin from them. We, we didn't even go and meet them or anything. We just, uh, right up until we got the cabin, I, I, I wasn't 100% sure they weren't going to turn out to be a complete um, non-existent operation but uh, we, we did get the cabin in the end but after we ordered the, the first cabin um that was in february 2020 so a month after that covid hit and at this point we didn't have the money to pay for it so it was it was coming and we had to fundraise or i had to fundraise and also we had a site but as soon as covid hit they dropped out they were like look you guys are starting a travel business in a pandemic i'm sorry i'm out so kind of sat there early lockdown with no money no uh, land and a, a cabin on the way so it was a lot of uh, scrambling around cold calling etc and finally managed to get both of those pieces scraped together uh, and then we got the cabin in june and the government lifted the first lockdown in july so really perfect timing that being said when we first launched we launched to, to crickets we did a half price friends and family for the, the first month and i think we got two or maybe three bookings the first two guests were my sister's who came to stay together and then i think we got one of ben's friends and, and one uh one extra person as well so it was a it was a quiet first month and it, it was very much that you know 
the, the, the folly of build it and they will come, which I seem to have done at every business venture I've ever attempted. And so the first month or two was slow. And then we were speaking to an angel, an influencer who is also an angel investor about maybe investing. He said, look, I'm, I'm not going to invest, but I'll come and stay this weekend. He had like 300,000 followers. Uh, so he came to some great pictures and that really just, you know, something completely clicked after that. The Evening Standard got in touch and we went from getting one book a week to, to one book a day. And uh, we're off to the races from there. And then the next year was the summer of staycations. So it was, yeah, really, really picked up quick after that, but certainly didn't start start out like that. No, but you, you have to start somewhere. And like you said, you need some luck sometimes just to, to kind of trigger um, momentum. Um, and, and, you know, if we fast forward to today, like how, how big is Unplugged? How many sites do you have, cabins, you know, visitors per month, however you kind of measure those things? So we have 17 cabins currently, 15 of them within a stone's throw of London. And then we just launched our first couple up north outside of Manchester. We want to get to 32 cabins by the end of this year. And we're at about 93% occupancy now. So cabins are full, you know, getting getting great reviews, which is good. So it's all about just expanding now and uh, expanding the the amount of people that we can get to to come and experience this. And in terms of in terms of what's next, we want to really focus on going deep in, in the UK for the next two or three years and, and then potentially step into Europe. Amazing. And you mentioned kind of, um, you know, being based outside London and then like now Manchester, is that because that's where typically customers are coming from? Like they're, they're city dwellers, they're people that are just surrounded by technology and noise. I think you're not getting that many people from like Cornwall or the Lake District. Like, is that fair or do you get people from everywhere and but it just makes sense to have them in that location for another reason? Yeah, we do, we do actually get a real mix. So we expected it to be you know, 95% from cities. It's actually more like... Yeah, maybe 70-75%. Obviously, there are just a lot more people in, in London than uh, in the areas around, yeah. for example. But been super surprised by you know the, the, the range and variety of people that have come to do this. And the key to make it close to cities is we really want to make this accessible, right? Because it's all about you know people who aren't coming and doing this. You know, the, the people who go and spend a month camping in the Lake District, like that's incredible, but they maybe don't need our help so much. We do get some of those people coming to stay, but there are just so many people who don't even know what's out there in the you know, the British countryside is is beautiful. And just, just being in nature has so many benefits. And if you can couple that with, with being offline as well and actually taking a real break from um, technology, then the, the benefits are pretty profound. So aiming to go close to cities just so we can make it as accessible as possible for people so that we can get as many people as possible coming to do this. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Um, and I said, I was going to dig into how it all works in a bit more detail. So I guess number one question is, um, there seems to be quite a focus on the like 72 hours, three day timeline. What, what's the science behind that? Why does it need to be three days? The, there's a couple of things. There's a bunch of scientific research around something called the 72 hour effect, which is that, you know, we need 72 hours in nature to, to properly recharge so that's on on the nature side and then also on the the phone sides when you get off your phone it takes about a day for the mind to settle down so the first day we're actually a bit more anxious so what we didn't want to do is you know people come for one night and they get off the phone and you know they're, they're basically anxious that first day obviously ju- just being out in, in nature has has benefits itself 
but we really wanted people to, to access that deep sense of calm and then have a, a day or two to really experience that. So, you know, in the future, we'd love to offer even longer experiences that will, will go that way rather than, uh, rather than shorter. Got it. And, um, in terms of what those three days look like for a person, so you know, if, if myself and my partner were going to come to one of the cabin, one of your cabins this weekend, I think you mentioned you turn up, you, you lock your phone in a box. Is, is that voluntary, or do you take the phones off people? And then, you know, for, from the from the, for the next three days, you said I think it's a Nokia and a map. Like, is that it? Like, what are people typically doing over those three days? So the it's a really interesting, almost a behavioural psychology problem about how to get people to lock their phones away. So for the first cabin. We were we were literally checking people in ourselves. We were also cleaning the cabin, and when they arrived, we would lock it in a box and take the key back to London. And but still, for the first few guests, we they, I mean they you know saw a cabin on Instagram, they booked to come and stay, and we tried to take their phone off them, and they were like, "No way! What are you doing?" You know. So so what we realised is that it's won or lost before people even get there, which is why the whole brand needs to be around this you know digital that you're coming for a digital detox. Because people really need to be excited about that and tell their friends, tell their family, and basically remove all the excuses you might have for picking up your phone. So then you know, that's, and then when people get there, you lock the phone away yourself, close the padlock, and then you've got the key in a sealed envelope. So it's enough friction. You're not opening it on night one, but you know it's there uh, if you need it for any reason. So, and then the other challenge is just providing everything people need so that, again, they don't, they don't need their phone in the cabin. So it's a map, it's a Nokia, there's a Polaroid camera in there. And in terms of what people do, I mean, they really keep it pretty simple. Like, it's amazing to see the messages that it's the first time people have just sat and read a book in a weekend for, for years, or people hike a lot, they cook a lot, they talk a lot with their couples. So it's really just the, the kind of simple things done well that, that we try and focus on. You know, like, again, when we started, we were worried we were going to have to do an agenda and put on activities and all these kind of things. Uh, but actually, those three days go pretty fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think there's like a real satisfaction just going back to the basics, like a walk in nature and actually just taking it in for once rather than listen to a podcast or yeah. doing whatever you're doing. Um, so I could totally, totally see that. And, and I guess, you know, a lot of people will be coming to these retreats with the view that this will be the start of a behavior change. One, after those three days are finished and people go back home, do you have much insights into like what what happens for those people next? Like, do they do they change what they're doing with their phones? Do they just see it as a three days that they relax a little bit and feel a bit better about it and then go back to normal? I guess there's there's almost the the, the kind of day to day, minute by minute. So what we find is you know phones are as addictive afterwards as they were before, but what's changed is that perception of your relationship. So what we find is that people are usually a bit shocked when they go back at, at kind of how quickly they return to um, scrolling effectively. But what we see is people start to seek out more this time offline. So if it's a couple, they might start doing an evening a week where they'll go to a restaurant and leave their phones at home. Or you know, people come back and stay in our cabins a few months later or, or look for other experiences. So it really starts people on that journey. And what we find is people are super engaged afterwards about how they can spend more time offline or what else there is available so definitely in the future we want to also build that out and see how we can uh best help people when they're not at our cabins but um yeah it's, it's really about starting on the journey a little break from the show if you're listening and thinking i'd love to work for a company like this the good news is you can go and visit www.jobsforgood.io 
where they only have four good companies on their platform, ranging from social justice to food waste to climate change and much more. You can filter jobs by impact area, preferred way of working, skill sets, and find the perfect company and position for you. So if you do one thing today, check out www.jobsforgood.io. Now back to the podcast. Definitely. And then I guess the cabins themselves are like central to this experience. Um, can you describe a little bit more about kind of, you know, what, what they look like, where they're located? Um, I know you mentioned some of the items you get, but like what they look like inside. And I guess more importantly, like the design principles went into how you wanted them to like look and feel to people. I, I think less is, is more for, for the design of these. And there's a lot of great design out there. So we, we didn't try and invent the wheel. You know, we, we took a lot of inspiration from other concepts in other countries, big, beautiful window by the bed. Like it, it, it's really the, the simple things again that, that offer a lot of the value. And then over time we've, we've iterated on, on guest feedback, but again, it's really just about doing those simple things well. So yeah, fairly minimal, try and keep it nice kind of, uh, people have called it Scandi chic before, so I think that's that's probably probably how I'll describe it. But uh, but yeah, there, there's I think diminishing returns. You don't need to have a fancy cabin with uh, you know, turrets and different floors and all these kind of things. Like it's, it's really just about something that works really well for those those core activities that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, and I think it just enhances that feeling of simplicity to an extent. Like getting back to yeah. basics, not overcomplicating stuff, removing that noise from your life. So if that's what the cabin looks like, that's what everything feels like. You're out in nature. That that's all kind of like consistency from an experience perspective. Um, I want to chat to you a bit about growth today, actually, because I find like it's, it's a really fascinating uh, like product you're you're providing to people. But it's got to be hard convincing people to get them away from their phones because that either requires an element of self-awareness or awareness on their heart, like their part, education, possibly intervention, depending on how bad it is. So, so like how, <laughs> how are you getting that message across to people and, and like which sales channels have been like most effective for you so far? Yeah, for sure. So it's, I mean, the good thing about it is two things. One is it's very tangible to tell people about. So we get a lot of word of mouth, not even if you've come to stay and have a great time, but even if you just heard about us, so especially in the early days, so oh, there's a startup that's locking your phone away in a cabin. It's an easy thing to to, to tell your friends at, at dinner, for example. So that was that was fairly intentional. And a lot of that was because the previous startup we worked for, where I did a poor job of, of running growth, was an iPad point of sale system. And we were just jack of all trades, master of none. You know, we had a coffee shop solution we had a restaurant solution like it, it, we didn't stand out anywhere and what i realized there was all of the growth hacks and all of these things i was doing were was almost a waste of time because the foundation wasn't there you know and the positioning wasn't there so we really you know wanted to position it right out of the gate so that uh, it helps basically it helps helps sell itself to some extent so i think we we really i guess i guess it's called product-led growth these days where you know, there's no substitute just getting people into the cabin and, and talking about it. So a lot of how we design the business is thinking about how do we get people instead of going away and telling one person, they go away and tell ten people. You know, and then it's just about patience and and kind of really just optimizing and, and figuring out all the ways of of getting people through. So we also got fortunate, well, blessing and a curse. In the early days, we got a ton of inbound PR around COVID. Anytime we tried to do PR, it failed, but we just got so much inbound because it was it was very of the moment uh, but what that meant is about a year and a half in when that started to to some extent dry out we still we still get quite a lot of random stuff but 
the as we scaled, I guess you needed to build the muscles to to actually you know own your own uh, customer acquisition. We we didn't we didn't build those muscles in the early days because victim of our own success with the with the inbound PR. So I think it's there's there's something where like failure and it being hard in the early days is sometimes where you really have to innovate and, and figure it out. So then we went through a tougher period and really had to focus on you know what are all the clever little things we can do to um to yeah drive drive bookings basically and we've really so so that was most of last year really made a huge amount of progress and and started to see the benefits of of that now so it's i think it's 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 also about with every startup you are to some extent in uncharted territory so you can see tactics everywhere of what this startup's done and what this startup's done but you really have to almost get back to to first principles somewhat and say you know what's actually going on here right like what are we dealing with and how does our situation differ and you know you take inspiration from over there and over there but fundamentally it's about innovating in all those little places that then creates a, a super strong customer acquisition engine Definitely. Yeah. You've got to find what's, what's right for you. Um, and, and I wonder actually, before I obviously got, got on the, the call with you today, like I was, I was wondering like, is this a product where you get a fair amount of repeat customers? Like people come once and they're always going to come again. Like it's got quite a strong repeat custom or is it a thing where people come once, see the benefits of it, but it's more for like to help trigger behavior change and they, and they may not come back again. So we, we, we do get a lot of repeat customers and I, that's the key, right? Like, completely transforms this business so we can make this something that people are coming to do every you know six to 12 months then that that creates a much bigger and more impactful business in the long term so the mission as a company is really to normalize digital detoxing uh, and so we want to help people make this a regular thing so yeah that that's a, a very big focus internally awesome um and kind of on the the conversation of like growth and revenue i think i noticed as well that you're starting to push out into like b2b2c so i think i saw a few companies are actually offering unplugged now as employee benefit like do you see that as like a quite interesting growth opportunity for the business alongside the you know, normal consumer channel 100 percent, yeah that's actually just come in organically we always thought there might be a b2b opportunity but then last year we just had a bunch of companies getting in touch and asking if they could offer it to their employees we now have 200 employees across 16 different companies and yeah we see a huge opportunity there you know we'll almost always remain that kind of b2c consumer brand but as you say it's 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 b2b2c so it's very much uh it's a great distribution channel right and it sends it's good for us good for the companies it sends the right message to their employees that hey we value time offline uh, and also obviously it's it's great for us because it's just great exposure and gets more people coming to to try this and, and to benefit from it and in terms of what's um, you know, planned for the future for Unplugged, I think you mentioned earlier, like it, it's mainly about kind of saturating the UK market for the next few years, and then you might look at moving uh, abroad. Like any other exciting things from a product roadmap perspective or anything else you're working on at the moment? The big insight is we're not a cabin business. We are a digital detox business. And again, I think digital detox as a phrase has a branding issue. But by us succeeding as a brand, we hope to make that from what sounds a bit fatty into you know, a real thing and because it, it does just really do what it says in the tin. So that's very much what's guiding us and that might not always be cabins. So, you know, we, we could well move into other offline experiences whether that's different types of accommodation or, you know, whatever else it might be. Uh, or as we spoke about earlier, like can we help people unplug more in their life when they're not in the cabin? So again, I think cabins are great. They really make it tangible 
it's a great experience going to stay in a cabin. Uh, and so that will remain the core part of our business. But again, it's really figuring out how we create a movement around this. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that's very much the focus, right? Like rather than necessarily just building a cabin business. Love that. And next, I want to chat to you a bit more, just for you personally, like as a founder. Um, question for you is like, when you look back over your founder journey with Unplugged, what, what's been like either the toughest moment or the toughest decision that you've had to make to date? Uh, toughest moment, we, we've, had, we've had a few very close calls on the, the cash crunch side of things. I think startups are actually a lot more resilient than they feel at the time. So, you know, although it's always felt uh, very kind of life or death, like you know, there's, always, there's always a way through as, as long as you keep pushing, usually, <laughs> anyway. So, so yeah, that, that has been tough at various times, but also the, the more you go with it, you start to develop a little bit of a, a thicker skin. So I think in the early days, overly optimistic financial planning by me uh, ran us into trouble a few times. So I, I paid the price for that with uh, a couple of couple of stressful nights, but um, got through that in the end. And then in terms of what was the second question? Sorry, the- uh, it, was, it was toughest moment or toughest decision you've had to make. Toughest decision. Uh, we, you know, we let someone go in January for the first time. They were just kind of three months. Really great guy. Uh, that was tough because me and my co-founder didn't see eye to eye on it. He, you know, I, I, I'm very much more of the kind of keep working with people school of of thought. Actually, in hindsight, I think he was right and it was the right decision, and there was a real boost to the whole team afterwards. But that was a a, a tough thing for me to go through. Just, just kind of. Yeah, navigating that situation and it was a really good learning process as well, right? Like I feel like it's in the hardest moments when we get it wrong that we learn the most. So a humbling experience for me. I was wrong in hindsight, but got it sorted in the end and you know, left on on amicable terms with the with the guy in question as well. So you know, we kind of remained on good terms. So got there in the end, but that was a that was a big learning opportunity for me. Nice and and. And next, I was keen to see, like, how would you describe your leadership style? And like, is leadership something that comes naturally to you, um, or something you've had to work on? Yeah, I'd say it's fairly unconventional. Like, I'm very, very hands off. Very like, you know, strengths. I have a very easy time delegating. A very easy time trusting people. Weaknesses. I'm really not a details person. So you know, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be admitting that. But yeah. I <laughs> worn out with the details so so ben ben deals with all of that so i think you know i think every leader has their strengths and weaknesses and i'm growing into this role i think i'm not a great manager in many ways um and so i'm just learning to you know navigate that and and try and lean into being a good leader uh whilst making sure that the company is well managed as well and doing doing what i can there so yeah i'm i would say i'm inexperienced learning but uh, but definitely improving as well. I, I can kind of, you know, started to figure it all out, like figure out the game. I really enjoy the, the game of startups and, you know, the, especially the people side of things because a company is really just a group of people. Like it comes from the Latin for to break bread together. So it's really just a, a group of people that you break bread with and, and viewing it through that lens and just really being tuned in to how everyone is doing in the company. And obviously we're eight people now when you're a thousand it's much harder to do but really kind of tuning into that and just 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 empathizing with people and just understanding 
how everyone is and you know i really see myself as just a, a small cog in the unplugged machine now and yeah just trying to do my part i guess and you seem extremely self-aware which um is like a really powerful trait to have as well and and in like both of those last two answers there was a theme there about kind of you and your co-founder and it sounds like hopefully deliberately but you've, you've chosen to go into business with someone that compliments you like if you're not so in the details and like to delegate and and ben is someone that gets more into the details it sounds like you found like quite a good business partner where you balance and offset each other 100 percent, yeah I, you know we obviously work together at this previous startup and it just kind of came very naturally so we were colleagues before and then friends uh, and i think that is very healthy I definitely think people can make friends and, and then colleagues work as well, but it's it's definitely more complicated. So we've kind of seen, we've worked with each other. And I think one thing that uh, underpins the relationship is we have a deep, like professional respect for each other in that we are different and we have different skill sets, but you know, there's never been any question of the other person's you know, effort or integrity or, or any of these things. So we've always been very supportive in that co-founder relationship. And, you know, even when we have disagreed on stuff, which, which, which happens a lot, of course, then it's, it's very objective and unemotional. Uh, and so it just means we're able to have those hard conversations without it going into you know, ego, being personal, et cetera. So th- there's, there's no ego in the relationship, which is great. And uh, it's been a joy. Yeah, I love, you know, Ben's, uh, Ben's a great guy. We, we have a lot of fun together as well. Nice. Yeah, I think that's key. Like you have to have a really great relationship person. You've got to be able to have fun with them. But like you said, the egos have to be removed. Because I know there's some some of my friends and or people like colleagues I can, I've worked with that I could easily go into business with from the sense of we can have really difficult conversations and walk away 10 minutes later and there's no problem. Whereas other people I know that you couldn't do that and, and it would linger for days. <laughs> um, so really good point to, to put on. Um, last section is just a bit about kind of like building the business, um, and especially like a business that's doing good in the world. So I just wondered, like, what are some of the key things you focused on um, from like a culture perspective to make Unplugged like a great place to work? For sure. So it uh, first of all, I think it comes back to what we just spoke about, about the co-founder relationship. Like a lot of how you treat each other is going to trickle down into the culture. So getting that piece right first is is key. And then, yeah, hiring is absolutely crucial. And again, like a company is just a group of people, so especially those early hires, like that, that's what defines the culture. So some of the things we've looked, always you know, really prioritize and, and look for, one is just that, that kind of no ego. And again, it's not, uh, people can have self-confidence, but it's about intellectual humility. You know, it's about when stuff goes wrong, then it's not about whose fault it is. It's about what's the truth here, you know, like how do we get to the answer, right? And so it's just leaving, completely leaving ego out of the conversation, not worrying about, you know, blame or or kind of, um, or protecting yourself, but really trying to get to the truth. And so I, I think we've really focused on that. And a, a key part of that is psychological safety. Like that's something we really got wrong at our old startup, which is that when people don't feel safe to share their failures, then they bury them, you know, and, and that's what ends up being a, a ticking time bomb down the road. So it's really about yeah, making people feel safe to, to share everything, to have an open dialogue. Uh, and then, and again, th- these are all things to really look for in the people you hire. Uh, and also, I, I think there's a great bit of advice from Patrick Collison, the CEO of Stripe, that a good way of hacking culture is just to hire people who are already happy and so, you know, who are already optimistic. Because that makes it much easier, you know. Uh, so we we look for that as well. People are energetic, like excited, 
excited to join the team as soon as you know maybe controversial but if someone's like yeah a bit lukewarm with with joining for whatever reason then it probably means that they're not the right fit so yeah really get people who are kind of pumped to to join in and and really contribute to what we're trying to do and and solve solve that bigger problem Uh, and i also think the just having a nice clear mission that people can relate to or you know focus even if mission's too grandiose a word really helps that really helps with the culture you know and it really helps with all the things i spoke about because if people feel like you're doing things for the right reason and it's not about you know funding the founders yacht in the future but it's actually about making a positive impact in the world and the key there is you know you need to be genuine in that right it's not about pretending that's it but actually you want the yacht if that's like really why you're doing it then again that trickles into the culture it trickles into every conversation uh, so I think that's really important as well, which is you know, a just having a, a mission worth fighting for, and uh, and b is just really reiterating that so that people know that, that that's what this is about, right? A hundred percent. I agree with all those points, but those last two especially, like the reason I work in the tech for good space is because these people have such powerful missions and they genuinely want to have a positive impact on the world. And then one of the side effects that is that you attract really great talented people. But more than that, you attract great talented people that really want to be a part of that mission and buy into what you're doing. And they come, like you said, with that positivity, that high energy, that drive, um, which you just, you, you can't trade that <laughs> for, for anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, Digital Detox Company, so I have to ask, because you know people's health and well-being is of utmost priority, uh, or should be for, for most businesses anyway. How do you have like a healthy balance inside and outside of work for your employees when it comes to you know emails, phone, Slack, whatever it might be, like the communication channels, I guess? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. We have the added challenge of, as with hospitality, it's, it's 24-7, right? So there's always people in our cabins. So it's a, it's a really interesting topic. I think it starts at the top. So again, like you know, people really look to the leaders in the company at how they are doing it. And if you're emailing through the night or whatever it is, then you just set that expectation. So, uh, you know, we, we try and you know keep offline at weekends, evenings, whenever it may be. I'll be honest, you know, we don't always and everyone's a bit different in how they work. And we also don't want to say to people, hey, you can't work like this. Some people just work better in the evenings or, or whatever it is. But, you know, personally, the way I look at it, is you know, I really try and prioritize it for two reasons. One is to hopefully set a positive example, but two is just so that I'm in the best headspace so that I can then turn up better for everyone else, right? Like, it's not going to help yourself to help others. So again, we, I, I, uh, depending on what's going on, I, I better or worse at it, but when I'm doing well, then you know, I'm offline by 6 to 6.30, and I'll stay offline until you know, 8 or 9 the following morning. And you know, I still spend all of my time in between those hours, just switching between tabs, etc. And no better than anyone else for sure. But what I find is that time offline really uh, helps, kind of me turn up better for the time online, if that makes sense. And it really helps me collect my thoughts and just really figure out the game and, and see the forest for the trees, which increasingly is is, is my job, really. So, and, and the other big one is holidays, right? It's like when people go on holiday making sure they actually go on holiday, you know, and they, they are not emailing or on Slack or all of these kind of things. That's definitely something where we, we really do try and um, insist to some degree. But again, always always tricky to police. And the other thing is just making sure people take holidays or that they feel safe to take holidays. Um, because the other thing is like, you know, sometimes a leader will, 
you know, just the way they talk about, oh, you know, we can't, oh yeah, but there's, we've got so much going on these next couple of months. It almost makes people feel bad to go and take time off. So actually just like suggesting it to people and just reassuring them that, Hey, please do take this time off. Like that would be great. And just, yeah, just, just like checking in with people. How are they doing? And, you know, if people need a holiday, like sometimes, sometimes they need to hear it from, from someone else. Like I remember last June, I went to see a friend and there was lots of fundraising, etc. going on at the moment. And uh, I was chatting to him and I was just, just a bit kind of a little bit burnt out. And he was like, dude, you need a holiday. And he was like, you got to go like tomorrow. And, and I did. I went, I went literally the next day and I went and stayed in, the, um, in a shepherd's hut, kind of checking out what, what else was going on in the space in, in the Peak District for five days. And it was fantastic. I came back completely recharged. So sometimes you do need other people to, to tell you. So I think, you know, really being empathetic about each other and just, just kind of making that safe and I guess prioritizing each other's well-being ahead of you know revenue even in customers or investors or any of these things because it all starts with the people right and it's like if the people are in a good headspace then, then they can do right by everyone else so yeah just just being kind to each other I think absolutely yeah and, and uh another point you made earlier like it comes leadership down as well like I've I've know I've had it in the past where I've I've demonstrated the wrong behaviors and and yeah I grew up in a company my first job where at the hours you worked was glorified working at weekends not taking holiday and it took a while to shake off that really bad behavior because I sort of realized as I became a manager or leader of people if I demonstrate those traits and others would and it, it wasn't healthy for anyone um so like you said you know now it's more about promoting the other way where it's like you know actually yeah I think you should take some time out you haven't taken any time out for three months now or you know look we're going to go through a really busy period let's go and recharge that, those kind of conversations which encourages the right behaviors Cool. Well, hey, so look, it's, it's been a real pleasure having the show. Like I said, I was really excited to chat to you about digital detoxing. It's something I need to definitely go and do myself. Um, I'm sure there'll be loads of others that are excited to check out Unplugged. Um, where's best on like socials to, to catch you? Yeah, for sure. So ironically, on all the, all the socials, via Instagram, unplugged.rest. I'm on LinkedIn uh, or, or, or just check out our, own, our website, unplugged.rest. And even better than checking us out on socials, come and stay and, and come and switch off for, for three days. Yeah, I was going to say, it's on my list now to go and speak to my partner and check out <laughs> some, of, some of those new cabins you mentioned near, near my way. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, thanks again for coming to the show. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, really enjoyed it, mate. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about the show. The more people we can get involved, the more hope we have for making the world a better place. This episode was brought to you by Craig Turner, produced by Jabril Al-Sahami, and sponsored by Jobs for Good. Until next time.